Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to the Portugal podcast number 91. With the Portuguese Primeira Liga at the exact halfway stage, today we're taking a look at what conclusions we can draw from the Primeira Volta and we attempt to predict how the remainder of the season will pan out. Uh, to help me do that, I'm delighted to have my partner in crime with me, Portuguese coach, journalist and football encyclopedia extraordinaire, Vasco Mota Pereira. <coughs> Hi there, Vasco. How are you? Hi, Tom. I'm I'm doing very well, thank you. A bit uh, flustered after that introduction, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved, my friend. Well deserved. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, let's first take a look at leaders Benfica. So, Vasco, if we focus our analysis solely on the Liga, after all, we've discussed Benfica's European misadventures in length in recent pods, uh, the Eagles have been mighty impressive in 2014-15, especially when you consider the number of players they lost in the summer. Uh, and, of course, the players they continue to lose, Enzo Perez uh, moving to Valencia in this January transfer window. Uh, yet, in 17 games, Benfica have won 15, drawn 1 and lost just 1, thus earning 46 out of a possible 51 points. Uh, like I said, that's a mighty impressive return. So, Vasco, uh, how have they done it? Uh, do Benfica deserve to be where they are, in your opinion? Uh, I, I think that that may well, very well be a question we could um, submit to many of the Benfica supporters that follow us. <laughs> uh, how have they done it indeed? I think, um, in my view, I believe these uh, league standings are, are a testament to Jorge Jesus' amazing work at the club repeatedly being able to churn out player after player, uh, educating some and completely transforming others. Um, it's a bit like Gisaldo Ferreira used to do at FC Porto. Uh, for me, at least, it's it's hard to imagine Talisca, for instance, to have the same impact in virtually any other club in Europe and, and go through such a, a smooth transition. Uh, Jesus may commit his sins and have his faults, that's for sure, but He's unbelievably good at keeping on making lemonade with the worst and worst lemons he's uh, been continually given um, <laughs> as the Portuguese club's uh, financial power keeps diminishing. As far as I'm concerned, Benfica deserve to be where they are for, for sticking to the project they laid out years ago and proving that, um, unlike what our southern European blood tries to tell us, stability can effectively bring results. Well, we're Talking about Benfica and Jorge Jesus, uh, I'd like to touch on another subject which I'm sure you can enlighten us with with your, your own coaching background. Uh, Jesus now has been at Benfica for six years, like you said, uh, a lot of stability at that club. Uh, but one thing, if we have a look at his record, we can see a clear pattern emerging. Uh, his record in terms of each season. Uh, the Eagles generally, they start and end each season with some shaky results. But in the middle, and especially in January and February, they usually play their best football. Uh, this seems to be the case again this season. Benfica really have been hitting top gear uh, the last few games. Played very impressively against uh, Guimarães at home and 
Maritim away to fixtures which many people were uh, thinking maybe they'd trip up in, and yet they they won three nil and four nil, uh, really absolutely crushed their opponents on both occasions. Uh, can you explain the reasons behind this fluctua- fluctuation in the team's form, and perhaps uh, some advice uh, to JJ on what he should do to avoid the kind of traditional end of season fall away they tend to have? Mm, that's that's a, a much trickier question. Uh, first of all, because my track record as a coach is far from stellar, <laughs> and <laughs> most of all because it's uh, very hard to answer that question without being on the teams uh, in the team's inner circle. Um, why Benfica start the season with some shaky results, like you mentioned? It seems pretty obvious to me because the Eagles have always have to sell their best players. Like you mentioned earlier, for instance, they've just sold Enzo Perez. And Jorge's ideas are not the, the simplest ideas in the world for for the young talents that emerge usually from South America, which is a very different reality than what they are were used to. So it takes a bit of time to get used to what the team needs, and it also takes time for Jorge Jesus to, to realize if this or that player is in fact better than the other one who seemed to have more potential. So there's a lot of decisions involved. Um, on the other hand, the presence in the Champions League, in my view, doesn't help matters at all because it forces the team to play successive matches with few days apart and sometimes the results leave a, an indelible mark which which doesn't help proceedings much. As, as for the end of the season fluctuation, it's quite normal for teams to have peak form periods and, and in the late season, usually Benfica uh, are involved in uh, in most fronts, if not all, which just which just keeps piling on crunching higher pressure matches, which which takes its its toll. Yeah, yeah. I think we saw last season. Of course, they had their tremendous, uh, really the tremendous season where they kept it going right to the end, winning three mm-hmm. trophies out of a possible four. But then on the other hand, uh, they probably had their, their strongest and uh, most, uh, their biggest squad, didn't they, in, uh, in all his time? I think they... Yeah, uh, that, exactly. That must have made a big difference. That's a very interesting point you make about the, uh, the difficulty maybe with the, uh, learning his methods, George Jesus' methods, by mm-hmm. the new players arriving at the club. I think now we can see, uh, we've just seen in maybe the last uh, month or so, uh, players, two players, Samaris, uh, Samaris and Kristant, exactly. who was two central midfielders, uh, always a crucial pos- position in uh, George Jesus's teams, uh, mm-hmm. really starting to show that uh, perhaps they were worth the, uh, you know, the, the investment made in them. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. Even Kristante is not exactly uh, just someone who came out of nowhere. He's a very good ball player. And even he had, and he's, he's had all his education, his football education in Italy, which is much more, uh, wide and broad than, than in Portugal. So even he had, uh, several difficulties learning the, the methods and learning the positioning and learning when to go for the ball, when to provide coverage. So it's not easy. I was reading a, the other day an interview from King, the, the former Benfica goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and he was saying that, uh, every player in Benfica really had to be smart because uh, it wasn't just a matter of, of playing with the ball. You have to understand if the the opposition were, was being pressured or not so you could take a step back or take a step forward. So there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes that we know little about. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, fascinating stuff as usual. Okay, now let's move on to uh, to Porto. And uh, the Dragons, they've also been beating all comers in recent weeks. Uh, in their last, I don't, not quite sure exactly how much, but I think it's eight, eight games, uh, eight Liga games. They've won every single one of them. <coughs> Excuse me, every single one of them apart from the home clash uh, against Benfica, mm-hmm. and that is indeed uh, the difference between the two sides. Uh, if Porto had won that game, uh, they would have been uh, joint top with Benfica. Uh, yeah. I'd like your opinion on two players who I consider to be absolutely fundamental to Porto's uh, storming recent form, and that is uh, Oliver Torres and Jackson Martinez. Are they uh, too good for Portuguese football? Uh, dare I say it? Well, if, 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 I'm, if I'm honest, I think so, yes, because um, I think Jackson Martinez is already a, a finished pro- a product, so... I think it was a touch unfortunate not to be signed by a bigger club uh, over the last transfer window because he didn't enjoy a particularly productive World Cup, which might have been different. Uh, he's surely one of the reasons why FC Porto um, didn't suffer more in, at the beginning of the season. And he's basically an insurance policy for his team. As, as for Oliver Torres, I think his was a very smart move because he would have, he would have had uh, limited playing time at Athletic Madrid and after, uh, at FC Porto the, the playing style is much more uh, akin to what he's capable of doing and I think it's been fairly easy to watch him really really uh, coming into his own I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting him to be in Portugal for long but I'm not expecting him to be very happy at Athletic either because if Simeone sticks around like he probably will yeah yeah, that's a, that's a good point, of course. <clears throat> There's been a, a bit of speculation in the Portuguese press that uh, Porto are interested in uh, buying him full-time. Uh, I'm not quite sure if they'll have the financial clout to do that, of course. He must yeah. be really, really expensive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Perhaps the best they can hope for is maybe another loan season, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Uh, Talking about Porto, of course, they're, they're bubbling along quite nicely at the moment. But uh, I'd like your opinion on this, Vasco. Uh, I think this isn't quite a crucial season for, for Porto. Uh, after spending so much money in the summer, and with Benfica losing so many players, as we've just discussed, uh, do you think that letting their bitter rivals win back-to-back championships, uh, should uh, Benfica clinch it again, uh, do you think this will be hugely damaging to Porto? Of course, we have to consider that Oliver, like we just discussed, and Jackson uh, Martinez will almost certainly be sold in the summer. It may even be difficult to hold on to the likes of uh, Alexandro and Danilo, who've been there for a while, and even lots of speculation about Martins Indy. Uh, of course, Pinto da Costa is not getting any younger, uh, a historic yeah. Porto president. All of this will surely lend weight to the argument that uh, are we seeing the end of Porto's domination of Portuguese football? I, th- I think you're absolutely uh, spot on on that one. Um, we had talked earlier in the season about how after all this investment, uh, Porto badly needed to win the championship and, and, and get back on solid ground at the Champions League. The latter was apparently easier to do, uh, but ending what seems to be... What seems to be becoming a Benfica dynasty is proving harder. 
Oliver and Casemiro, like are on loan, and and like you mentioned, other core players might might follow suit. However, I'm not exactly sure that that argument will hold water if and when George Jesus leaves the loose. I think that will be the hardest test for Benfica over the upcoming years. If they manage to remain successful when this coach uh, goes, then I think we'll be at, in the presence of the end of FC Porto Dynas. Of course, one of Porto's one of the amazing things about Porto's remarkable success over the last two decades, three decades, that completely dominated Portuguese football really, is uh, they've managed to do it, virtually changing their coach every season. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. you, you mentioned Josuado Ferreira earlier. I think he's probably the longest serving coach, wasn't it? He was there for four, for four years, years, I yeah. think. Yeah. Apart from that, uh, you know, or maybe one season, two seasons. Of course, Mourinho had two seasons. Andre villas is just one season. And, uh, you know, these are just the most successful ones. Uh, even when, when coaches won championships... Uh, they tended to leave, but uh, do you think that's a slightly different case to Benfica? Do you think? Uh, I, I do. Yeah, George is more is more intimately linked to their success. Yeah, yeah. At least for now, I have no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, I think that Benfica will really suffer if they uh, when they sign another another coach, uh, because there will be a lot of adjustments to to make. I think it will be. Uh, quite hard to replicate that success. Yeah, okay. Almost as hard as replicating George Jesus's uh, hairstyle, I suppose. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, with that, uh, let's move on to sporting. Uh, I'd like to bring sporting into the discussion with an observation about uh, the direction that Portuguese football is going, perhaps. Uh, it seems the financial hardships, which we uh, always hear about year upon year, are finally catching up with the clubs. Uh, fewer big-name signings, and especially with the end of third-party ownership uh, on the horizon, uh, it's going to be even more difficult uh, to sign top players and, perhaps more significant, to hold on to top players. Uh, as a result, most of the analysts agree that all the Portuguese clubs including the big three, will have to increasingly rely on their homegrown products in building their teams. Now, we all know that sporting are peerless when it comes to youth development in Portugal. Uh, just last weekend against Rio Ave, uh, the Lions fielded seven players from their academy in the starting eleven. And of course, uh, if we just look at the national team, just a, a very large proportion of the, the players in that team uh, came through the, port the sporting academy. So, Vasco, my question to you is this. Uh, will this shift in how clubs build their teams give Sporting an advantage in the coming years? Uh, Benfica and Porto have shared the last 12 championships between them. Uh, will, do you think this uh, new financial backdrop, do you think that will give Sporting a better chance? And uh, will it be their turn to, to have their time in the sun, as it were? Um, at the risk of... of Becoming a future laughing stock, I would say no. Uh, I think it might bring teams a bit closer, especially the big three. But despite the, the Sporting Academy's reputation, the other two clubs, I mean Porto and Benfica, are not exactly just dozing off. The, the path to the senior team might be obstructed by bigger players, but both Porto and Benfica have been developing very good players as well in their youth ranks. And 
I don't think Sporting are the force they once were as far as youth teams are concerned. Uh, on the other hand, academies aren't everything. Um, as Benfica have shown, stability at the club, and not just in managerial terms, is key so that there's a clear path for youth to follow and so that they're duly integrated. So in short, I don't think Sporting will be a force to be reckoned with just yet. On, on, a, on, a, on a final note, for instance, you, you talk about the, the, the players in the Slesson. Uh, it's true that they came through the sporting the sporting ranks, but they weren't exactly developed to their fullest potential until they left, which I think reveals something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Of course, uh, I'm sure you've seen uh, on several occasions <coughs> sporting fans occasionally putting together a sporting eleven of players who came through the academy, and you just think, wow, you know, this yeah. team could be champions of Europe. But then, like yeah. you say. You look again, and players like Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, when he left Sporting, he obviously wasn't the player he was uh, after a few years at Manchester United. Yeah. You could see, for instance, the case of, of Jean Moutinho, which I think would be quite hard to leave for greener pastures had he, had he stayed at Sporting instead of moving to Porto, for instance. Right, yeah. Okay, well, uh, of course, I think most people know my allegiances are, uh, and <laughs> I... Uh, I hope that uh, that one comes back to bite you. But there you go. <laughs> okay, uh, so now let's talk about the quality of the Primera Division, uh, the Primera Liga as a whole. Uh, there's been a huge gulf which has emerged between the strongest teams and the weakest teams in the league this season. Uh, of course, this gap has always existed, but uh, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger, in my opinion, uh, despite the fact the, the big two, I suppose we can say, uh, are not as strong as they have been in recent years. Uh, Vasco, am I right in thinking that the quality of Portuguese club football uh, seems to be on the decline? I think that's a question that we that would be better answered in a podcast over quite a few points because <laughs> the answer <laughs> is a long one. <laughs> it would it would it would involve a lot of back and forth, but and would it so, involve? Okay crying into our cups at the end of it. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> so, okay, but I'll try. So I don't think that... I don't agree that the quality of Portuguese football is on the decline. Uh, on one hand, I think it's been like that for a while, so I don't think this is particularly poorer than it was. But there have been some attenuating factors that have kept us from seeing the proof in the pudding, if you will, on... On the other hand, I think it's a, a generational thing. There, there are a lot of good coaches, uh, for instance, being churned out year after year. But it's still quite hard to get promoted based solely on merit, which means that your, your Jose Motas, your Paulo Sergio, to name but a few, still have their teams playing with last century's tactics and formation, which doesn't exactly coax out the best of, out of their players. And conversely, stifles the development of players who can do more than just uh, getting stuck into opponents. Uh, and in that regard, I don't think football is that different from the remaining uh, Portuguese reality where you see employees like whether it's footballers or engineers or scientists shining abroad simply by being under different management. And I'll give you one example. A couple of years ago, I was at a, at a, at a scouting training um, and only a few teams in the top tier were represented, at least half of the teams in the Portuguese Primeira Liga don't even have a scouting department. And I'm talking about scouting opposition, potential signings, etc. 
with this level of, of chasm when comparing to other countries, it's quite hard not to be on the decline. Very interesting points, as usual. Now, uh, time for a quick-fire round, Vasco. <laughs> uh, this time, I'm going to fire a few quick questions to you and uh, yeah. see if you can answer them with one or two sentences, uh, if okay. possible. <laughs> okay, uh, number one, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, will we Portuguese ever see the likes of him again? Uh, I, I highly doubt the world will ever see the likes of a Cristiano Ronaldo again, let alone Portugal. Um, the perfect combination between raw potential, dedication and uh, sustained hard work over the years will be almost impossible to match, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, certainly an inspiration for uh, Portuguese players to, uh, you know, the, the heights they can reach. Yep. Uh, Okay, number two, Jose Mourinho. Uh, is this his best ever Chelsea side, in your opinion? In my opinion, Jose Mourinho's best side is still the team from his first year at Chelsea, where there didn't seem to be any point in playing against them. <laughs> at the moment, Chelsea have some frailties in central defence, for instance, uh, as it is sometimes proven, like, for instance, against Liverpool just last Tuesday. Uh, nevertheless, this is definitely one of his best squads, even though I think uh, Mourinho might be erring a bit on the more cynical side compared to his years at FC Porto and his first stint at Chelsea. Yeah, uh, th- but then on the other hand, perhaps would you say it's his most flamboyant side? Mm, uh, no, I, I'm still sticking to the first one with, with Arjen Robben and um, Damien Duff. Uh, yeah. I think it was more entertaining. Yeah, okay. Uh, number three, uh, talk about another coach, uh, Portuguese coach doing well abroad, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, are you surprised with his success? I am a bit surprised, I must admit. I was I was expecting him to be reasonably successful at first for bringing some much-needed organization to Valencia, which were in shambles. But I thought that as the time wore on, the other teams would uh, catch on to them and force them to play proactively, which was sometimes a problem with Nuno. The surprise comes from watching him being able to change tack and experience with different formations, for instance. Other than that, not exactly surprising from a man who has been showing numerous signs of intelligence over the years. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, interesting, some people are talking about his intelligence. I always love listening to him uh, when yep. he's asked questions and in pre- press conferences. I remember uh, one or two years ago, he was on one of the Portuguese uh, football shows and the presenter asked him straight up, uh, So Nuno, uh, would you be where you are without George Mendes? Of course, he's been very <laughs> closely linked to George Mendes. He was, yeah, yeah. uh, was George Mendes' very first player. Uh, and uh, instead of kind of running away from the question, he just answered, uh, of course I wouldn't. <laughs> it's been a fantastic help for me in my career. Uh, he's helped me uh, as a player, he's helped me as a coach, and, uh, but it's up to me to prove, you know, to make the, yeah. to make the most of the situation, and uh, that's certainly what he seems to be doing. Okay, uh, number four. Now let's move on to a player, Bernardo Silva, in the news this week. Sold for uh, just about just under 16 million euros from Benfica to Valencia to uh, Monaco. Sorry. Uh, so Vasco, uh, how good can he become? Is that a is that a you know it's a big price for a 20 year old? Uh, will he prove to be worth it? 
Oh, that's uh, a tough one because uh, it's all about potential and future. But right now, I don't think it's worth that much money. But sometimes you have to pay for the for the raw potential you see in a player by for believing that he will become the 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 real thing. Uh, I think it's um, sometimes you you pay for that rather than how much the player is actually worth at the moment. And I think this is this has been one of the case. Uh, if he's lucky with his coaches and the teams he ends up at, I think 16 million euros will sound like a bargain in a few years' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, paying for potential—that's one of the, the big things in football. I think we can just have a look at two Portuguese examples: uh, Andre Gomes, who's a mm-hmm. similar kind of sale yeah. uh, a year yeah, yeah. ago, and he seems to be already showing that uh, it was a, a good piece of business by Valencia. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Bebe, who was uh, <laughs> sold to Manchester United for you know a huge price out of nowhere, and I suppose that was just a, a bit of a punt, which uh, has proved to be <coughs> money not so well spent. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, final one in this quick fire round. Back to the coaches, uh, and also linked to this uh, sale of uh, Bernardo Silva, or maybe not. Uh, George Jesus. Uh, has he got something against Portuguese youth players? <laughs> again, again, one of the probably one of the hardest questions to answer, I would say. I don't think George Jesus has anything against Portuguese players, but I believe there's a lot going on that we're not exactly aware of. Uh, on one hand, showing promise on the B team and hit the ground running in the senior squad are two very, very different things. And I think sometimes people tend to enter the realm of wishful thinking by believing that the player who scores 20 goals in the second league would be just the right man to take over from Cardozo or something. Um, on the other hand, Jorge Zuzis, and I think he's not given enough credit for that, but he's often stuck with players he didn't exactly choose by himself. And as we know, Portuguese clubs still rely heavily on being a sort of revolving door for players, and you have to keep agents and middlemen happy, which might just mean that the signed foreign players may just get one or two more opportunities than a Portuguese player of equal worth. Well, time has beaten us again, and that's it for this edition from the uh, ever-entertaining world of Portuguese football. Uh, Vasco, uh, muito obrigado for your uh, fantastic insight, as ever. Thanks so much, Tom. (laughs) And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, Don't forget, for all your Portuguese football needs, uh, go to the site www.portugol.net. That's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L.net. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast soon. Bye for now.